Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. My name is Matt Southgoom and today I'm joined once again by Simon Thomas and Andy Howell. Good afternoon, chaps. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Matthew. I appreciate it, Andy. I know you've got some business to attend to after this, so we're going to rattle through our podcast today. Um, we're building up, obviously, to Wales against Ireland on Friday night. Uh, before we go any further... Just want to remind you guys, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, so head over there, search for the Welsh Rugby Podcast, and you should find us no trouble at all. Okay, let's get into it. Andy, unchanged 23 from the side that capitulated in the second half at Scotland. Um, are you surprised by that? It's all part of a cunning plan, Baldrick. It's like sending out a black adder. It's, We're getting uh, that line in again today. Yes, right? getting that line in again. Yes, back-to-back defeats, and Wales respond by not making any changes, but I must say... I'm actually not surprised. I thought he'd go with this uh, team because Wales have backed themselves into a corner. They didn't experiment against Japan to any degree uh, last autumn. Same against Italy. Start the Six Nations. Didn't uh, use that as an opportunity to give a few players a, a chance. I know they uh, stuck with the uh, old guard. If you like, because Wales have got to win one of their remaining matches to avoid a group of death at the next World Cup, potentially. And as Howley, Rob Howley, uh, the battle coach said today, uh, international rugby is about winning every game. Sorry, what did you make of it? Well, what I make of it is Black Adder and Anna, she's rather <laughs> wide of the mark because Scott Baldrick's plans never worked. <laughs> so, so forget that That's one for a mean. start. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's safe to say, Matthew, that the natives are restless at this team selection. It's not gone down well. When you think Ireland also named an unchanged team, there's not a ripple over there. Mm-hmm. Quite happy with that. Whereas over here, it's gone down like a lead balloon, really, isn't it? Mm. I, I, a few people sort of uh, pointing that that famous quote by Einstein that, that the uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing time and again, expecting different results. Mm. Wales have done the same thing again. They picked the same team. Will there be a different result? Not if they play like they did in the second half in Scotland. I think there's obviously been a clamour for change after that performance because it was pretty depressing. Certainly after half-time, Wales unravelled in a pretty alarming way. Players have, that have been sort of touted for some time now, Steph Evans mm-hmm. uh, and Sam Davis behind the scrum, people also maybe suggesting we could go down the, the dual fly-half option, which has become quite popular. Maybe either Sam and Davis and Bigger working together or Owen Williams coming in, that's another option. And then in the pack, there was you know quite a lot of speculation that the two Bath boys might come back, you know, Long-time regulars, Luke Charteris and Tulipa Falatau, but no, they're restricted to a place on the bench. We'll probably talk about reasons mm. for that a bit more in a moment. But the general reaction um, is either negative, angry, hugely critical, or, most worrying of all, really apathetic. Mm. There's a disillusionment out there. There really is. Yeah, it's, it's not been pleasant. Uh, this afternoon, the, the reaction that we've been getting on Wales Online... Um, and can you... Can you at all see any merit in what he's saying in terms of giving the players a, another chance? I mean, surely when, when when sports teams are kept the same, it's because they're being rewarded for good form. Wales haven't been in good form for a while and, and nothing has changed. Surely now, this when when teams are playing badly, that is when sub, when replacements have to be made and when players have to come in and out. And who knows, dropping certain players probably might do some good. But do, do you feel, can you see anything, can you relate to anything that Howley has said in justifying this election? Uh, the only thing I can relate to is they are playing against Ireland, who have beaten South Africa, Australia, New Zealand in the last year, gunning for the title, a really formidable opposition. Could you throw in a lot of 
inexperienced players against Ireland because you know you could end up suffering a lot of collateral damage if you do that. So I can see it from that point of view. But you're dead right. He's saying they're giving Wales a chance is to redeem themselves. That is painfully untrue because Wales have won just four of their last twelve matches, including the game against the uh, Chiefs. It's a pathetic record. It's uh, hopeless. You know, and Howley said today that Wales haven't come a bad team overnight. He is right, because they've become a bad team over a period of time. Mm, and he should have made changes going back to last autumn. And they, have, they had the opportunity. And do you know what? For this championship, people were excited when he announced his squad for the championship. It was a large squad, seven uncapped players in there. And do you know? And guess what? We haven't seen one of those players hasn't even made the bench during the Six Nations. So you've got to say, is that an appeasement policy? It, you know, if you look, I studied history, it reminds me of Neville Cha- Chamberlain, 1939 before the Second World War, got a peace deal with Germany. That didn't last long, did it? <laughs> it's been fairness to Andy, he put the question to Rob Howley at the press conference, put that quote to him about we don't become a bad team overnight. How can you justify that on the back of only four wins in 12 matches if you include the Chiefs game in New Zealand? And really, there wasn't that much of an answer. Rob referred to Wales's overall Six Nations record. I think is what it was, 70% win. Back to 2008. I think, which isn't really that pertinent to this well, season. Does somebody want to tell them that they've only won, what, one game in the Six Nations? Well, exactly. Isn't that more pertinent? You'd think so. And the other thing he pointed out, too, that sport is about fine margins. Now, that's true. Yeah. It is true. And you can look at the Scotland game, and I think he himself acknowledged there were probably six or seven try scoring opportunities. Yeah, that was for the game. last two games. Last two yeah, games. Four games went straight. Uh, four chances went out begging in Scotland. You yeah. know, so there are opportunities that have been missed. So there are fine margins, but you can only really judge the team on how they deliver on the field. And creating chances is one thing. But as I've said on this podcast before, the concern for me is in the last two games, we've only scored two tries. They've both been our primary possession, a set scrum move against um, England and a tap penalty move against Scotland. Once we fail to score from primary possession, we seem unable to break sides down, lacking imagination, lacking creativity, and that is a major worry for me. And the attack was blunt last autumn as well. It's not great. So we come back to it, don't we? You know, Wales have had how many attack coaches in the last few, few months and how many more are they going to have in the next few months? Clearly something's not right there. I don't think that's particularly helping. Um, you mentioned the press conference, boys. How was it? Because, as we've said, the, the reaction to this team announcement was hugely negative. There wasn't a lot of positive. Howley is well, undoubtedly under fire here. Yeah. Well, how, how was we, it? we went there today. We dull. went dull. Yeah. Dull. Well, we went along there today, expecting it could be a bit of uh, could be a few fireworks, could be a bit fractious, and all, <laughs> all the stick Howley and us uh, been happening. But it seemed to me they were on a charm offensive. Mm. They, they couldn't have been nicer. And at the end of the hotel, they even wished us all the best. It was, uh, you know, Alan Wynne Jones. He's quite an can be an abrasive character, etc. Nice as pie today. Mm. Uh, I was quite surprised, really. Justin Tipridge afterwards, probably the best interview I've heard him give. Yeah, and you can, that's him. That's coming out when? That's Tipper? coming out tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Yes, yeah. twenty-two hundred hours embargo till then. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that one on Wales Online. It, so. it just his fiftieth cap, by the way. It yeah. just seemed really low key. Mm. You know, it, and it kind of summed up this kind of mood that's out there. Mm. You know. As we'll come on to talk about in a minute, people have been talking more about takeovers at regional level than the Wales game, which is pretty unusual for a Six Nations match. Yeah. There's not a buzz on the streets. Really yeah, it's isn't. Ireland as well. That's normally quite their high-profile. Well, there will be plenty of buzz over there. Yeah. I tell, tell you what, what Ireland yeah. might, be, might more, they might have better support, uh, you know, than Wales at this ground. I think Wales were worried about that today. They appeal for support. 
I, I mean, you know, I'm hearing tales of a lot of clubs, you know, offloading tickets, and there'll be a lot of Irish fans coming over here, happy to snap them up. And I think we might hear a fair few choruses of the fields of Athenry can find it out. Should be a, a pretty decent atmosphere. Um, and you ever seen? I, I know this is quite a broad question, but have you ever seen a Wales coach come under such? Such stick and be under so much pressure with 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 game. I know, like when you're winning, you've let got me, a grand slam on the line. That brings pressure. But go on. Let's cut to the chase, Matt. Yeah. Let me stop you. Let's get on with the show. I got other business to attend. <laughs> go on, cut to the chase. Be my guest. Take yes, control. Yes, yes, I have. And Simon has. We've both been in this game a long time. The difference today, of course, is social media. So it's a lot easier for the public to be critical. But we just go back only a few years when Gaz Jenkins was in charge. Uh, there was such a lot of pressure and a lot of stick that he had. Uh, before that, we had uh, Kevin Bowen. Uh, we had uh, Ron Waldron. That was the worst I ever uh, knew it when Ron Waldron was in charge. John Ryan before him. So there's been times uh, uh, where there's been a lot more coaches been on a lot more flack and uh, have been under far more pressure there's, there's because a- because that's you know people must realise that since uh, 2005. Wales have been in a golden era. Yeah, there's a big difference though. Uh, he's touched on it in social media. I think uh, players and coaches are now only starting to realise just how lucky they were in the pre-internet days. Yeah, that yeah. The earlier they're having a go at them. Mm-hmm. Now they've got Joe Public and Joe Anonymous Public. You know, in his pajamas, in his house, yeah. in front of his keyboard, saying whatever he likes, knowing there's no comeback. And some of the you know the vitriol that we've seen you know today we've seen on other occasions this season as well but particularly today you know real animosity towards Howley over his selection disgrace some of those comments and it is out of order you know yeah. the, the extent to which people go what I'm saying is this era is different yeah. it's more vitriolic it's more abusive people think they have a sense of entitlement to be able to say anything about anybody you know having a discussion about selection is one thing and you can question it as we've done but that's the difference now there's a level of abuse out there which makes the coaching job of Wales different when you're under pressure to what it used to be. Yeah, yeah I, I hope that Brad Rob Bowley and his players and all are just ignoring social media. Yeah, they don't. I know though. it's difficult, they but don't. I know. But I hope that I'm not sure about Rob. It gets himself. back to them though. It yeah, gets back to them by the family, for press officers, mm-hmm. even some journalists would say, you know, it gets back to them. If um, you mentioned the, some of the examples you've given us there, those coaches ever come back? From from where they were when they were getting that kind of stick, because like you mentioned, people don't realise how no. uh, you know we're in a golden generation. Yeah, my generation, for example, will really have only known mostly success. No, no, no they never. They all lost their jobs. Well, that's the crux, this end, is the crux of it, isn't it? Yeah, but the problem is that Ali's a is a caretaker coach, and his time is up at the end of this uh, after this uh, Six Nations anyway. And Warren Gatner's coming back on a white charger next uh, for next uh, season. I mean, there's, so, there's examples in sports. You look at something Alex Ferguson, who was a, came through awful stick, you know, for about an 18 month period at United, and everyone knows it happens when they stuck yeah, with him. Yeah. I suppose the big difference in soccer, in particular, is that coaches don't managers don't tend to keep, be kept on for that long. Yeah. In rugby, you tend to get a slightly longer run. It, anyway. but it's a different scenario, isn't it? Because it's not as if Howley is the head coach, and you know, if all goes according to what the plan is after the Lions tour, Warren Gatton will come back in charge, mm-hmm. and Howley will go back to being assistant along with McBride and the others. Yeah. The only way that could change is if the WIU decided to uh, pay Gatland off. Was that likely, Andrew? It would cost a minimum of half a million pounds, wouldn't it? And then they'd have to pay off uh, Mr Howley and McBride as well if they decided to get rid of them. Uh, so they could cost best part of a million pounds. So is that no? Well, I'd say it's a no. Let's get to the chase, as you said earlier. Uh, all right, then, let's, let's talk about uh, a little bit about the selection then. 
in my opinion, Wales, let's, you know, they, they could pull a rabbit out of the hat on Friday night and they could win. And they could win quite well. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Exactly. But, in my opinion, and feel free to shoot me down on this, the team is, they're beginning to pick this team and a little bit of, I, I think the phrase blind faith was mentioned before. You know, this is just them again saying, okay, maybe this time, maybe this time they'll, they'll produce the it's goods. Been a lot of missed times. Missed yeah, times. And, and I think, you know, you talk about the big name players. I mean, Jamie Roberts has lost his place in the starting lineup. But there's George North is another one who's coming for a lot of stick, and I, you know, in Wales we've got a we've got a habit of, of picking a player and continually picking his faults. But it, let's face it, you know, like you've you've said in the past, he he needs to find form because at Murrayfield, if you I mentioned the Simon when we were in Edinburgh, you brought an alien down to planet Earth and said pick out the Lions wingers on the pitch at Murrayfield. They weren't going to be pointing at George North. Oh, Liam Williams, they were pointing at both the Scottish boys. Exactly. They totally won the aerial battle against the Welsh lads. So what, what do you, my question to you is, and what do you make of the criticism that George North in particular has been getting? Nothing compared to what he's got his cut for him. No mistakes. North, North has been, uh, um, he's escaped lightly over the last you few think? years because I don't think he's been playing well since the second test in South Africa and Niels Prout. When uh, you know he cost Wales a f- uh, first victory in South Africa by missing a, a, a regulation tackle on the t- uh, touchline, he ended up South Africa got a penalty try, winning a match. Played well in the first uh, test in New Zealand last summer. Yeah, he played well, but however, two of New Zealand's tries came through George North. They kicked on him a cross kick, and he scored from it over the try line. And uh, just before he went off with hamstring injury, they tucked him up on that side of the field he, as well. At that point, mind. He'd had a good game, mind. He's going he, to attack. He was in some trouble when that happened, I think, because I think he was already injured. His hamstring was it? Yeah. I think he was already on one leg at that point. I thought but. he injured it at the time. But uh, but no, he, he, he troubled New Zealand. He inter- but the interesting thing, of course, the New Zealand winger who played that, that day has since disappeared off the international uh, radar because he, George North was really good and showed him up. Yeah. You know, what's... Not troubling, but what's disappointing with George that the form he had Lions Tour 2013 in that autumn as well, the following autumn with the ball in hand, uh, you know, that's all disappeared as though his confidence is evaporated. But we mustn't also we mustn't forget that he has had some uh, you know head injuries and all you don't know what that effect that's had on him, maybe subconsciously. Yeah, like in, in terms of confidence yeah. and things, you mean? Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, you know, he needs to start looking for the ball, didn't he? Yeah, he had, he had a touch in Scotland. Do you see? Do you see the merits of him being picked over Steph Evans this weekend? Sorry, I think it's difficult. Does and it we come go, down to one? It's difficult. We come back to this whole thing, don't we? You know, we've gone through now seven matches this season, and opportunities to blood players have been missed. So what you end up with is a yeah. One, some people might call them a tried. And trusted group, others might call them, you know, a tired and rusty group. Yeah, and that's the thing. That group is there. It's continued through, and as a result, other players have not come in and been blooded. And then, obviously, with each situation that develops, every crisis game you reach, well, that's not really an appropriate time to bring a kid in, an uncapped kid. So the opportunities were missed. Keelan Giles should have come on against Japan. Steph Evans should probably have been involved off the bench against Italy or you could have made a case made for Owen Williams so these players are, you know seven uncapped players not one of them's had even a, a seat on the bench in three matches mm. so the trouble is you've not blooded any of these players yet there would still even despite that have been a strong case you know, for Steph Evans to play I was looking at the stats today and because he's been part of the world squad but not involved I think he goes something like from January the 18th Realistically, to March the twenty fourth, without playing more than eighty minutes, and that's all you have is one lot of eighty minutes in that period. 
It's because he's had one game for the Scarlets. The rest of the time he's been in camp with Wales as a bag holder or a 25th man. May not get involved. In the, he's not involved this week. May not be involved last in the last game against France. So he goes two months with hardly any rugby. You know, it's uh, and the, play, the, the the people who lose out there. Obviously, the Scarlets. Well, I mean, if you look back at last weekend, the Scarlets, the, oh, Scarlets, Steph, and the, yeah, yeah. Scarlets and the Blues and the Dragons. You know, they didn't get a single player back from Wales. Whereas yeah. Australia's got a fair few. I think the rationale was that they had a big hit out on the Sunday. But then you start to look at it and say, well, you know, if you're going to pick the same 23, could you not at least have, you, know, you probably knew you were going to do that, could you not have released a few players back? Isn't there other people who could come and hold tackle bags? Yeah. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of frustrations, man. There is indeed, I can tell. Uh, all right, and Sam Davis um, calls for him to start to fly off, but they've gone with Dan Bigger again. Um, thoughts on that? I know we've, we've talked in, in the office today that based on his, based on his game against Edinburgh alone probably didn't do enough to justify starting but when you look at the at the bigger picture here did he have a case to start against Ireland? He had a case to start against Italy should have started that match without any shadow of a, a doubt uh, it was perfect opportunity Wales were always going to win that uh, game they were playing the combination of Zebra and Terezo in plus two ringers and uh, should have started that game and if he'd come if he'd come off and uh, done really well in our match, you know, to give him confidence, experience in the international era, and he could have cracked on in the number 10 jersey. Uh, very difficult to put him in, I think, against uh, Ireland because, you know, there's not going to be a lot of space uh, on that uh, pitch. And as I said earlier, it's about uh, finishing in the top eight of the uh, world rankings, and Wales have got to win one of these mm. uh, two games. And is this the best option? Or is France, if Wales, you know, come unstuck this weekend, they go to France, their final game, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, so you know, like you know, Wales have backed themselves into a corner over yeah. a period of uh, of time. So what you're saying is the chance to blood these players is probably passed with Japan. Yeah, do you know where they're going to get blooded? They're going to get blooded yeah. on tour in the summer against Tonga and against Samoa. And guess what? The head coach Warren Gatland and Rob Bowley are both going to be with the Lions. That's why Gregor Townsend, an incoming Scotland coach, turned down the Lions at the attack position with the Lions. Because he says their tour this uh, summer, I think it's in Australia. Yes. Yeah. Is uh, is the, is before the next World Cup? It'll be the longest uh, chance, the longest amount of time he will have with that group of players, and uh, so he says it's essential for that. So Wales are going to be blood players, and our two main coaches are not going to be there to mm-hmm. uh, to, to to see it. This is um, a bit grim, this, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. The other thing, of course, is the other thing with Sam Davis. How old is he now? Twenty. Twenty-four is he? Youngster. Yeah, you know he's not a youngster because if you look, oh, don't sorry. forget, World Player of the Year under twenty level in twenty fourteen. If you look at the illustrious list of players who've won that award, there's only about one person who hasn't gone on to do much in rugby. Most of them were stars of the senior game within a year of finishing that, but typically in Wales with the Ospreys and with the uh, with the Wales team themselves. Oh, you know, he's got more experience, etc., etc. Well, how old is he going to be before he's going to have more experience? Yeah. And are we going to, have, you know, we could have, they could have had so much more out of him yeah. already. So the only issue I got with Dan Bigger, the point was raised earlier when the team was announced. What, what are Wales going to do on Friday night that Ireland won't be expecting? With Dan Bigger at ten and Sam Davis sat on the bench. I suppose what they would, what you, what you would turn around to say is that Wales would point to the fact that they are creating opportunities, okay. and they're not finishing them off. Um, they're not being clinical enough. They're doing the spade work and the groundwork. You look at Jonathan Davis's break last week. There's been a few occasions. 
where people have been through and have not been able to finish them off. So I think, you know, Ireland would expect Wales to try and do pretty much the same, you know, to find lines of people in midfield hitting good angles. Um, the trouble is that you don't have a huge amount of confidence at the moment that, that there'll be any more clinical. Mm. Yeah, I think Jonathan Davis and that could give Ireland some problems, right? Thing, yeah, ball on the front foot. Yeah, it's a decent championship. Got Gary Ringrose, a good, great prospect for Ireland, but uh, new, new, newcomer to the scene and all that. You know, he's playing out here. Uh, his defence is not brilliant all the time. Uh, Wales, you know, they might get some joy there. Yeah, yeah. So we put yeah. on that topic again. Let me put it to you. Um, I was down there myself earlier in the week, and I, I certainly get the impression that they believe in themselves. Do you? Do you think they can win on on Friday night? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. I think. Well, I think it's either going to be a very close game. She could go either way. Wouldn't surprise me if Wales win. Either be very close. I can't see Wales or Ireland will win quite, uh, uh, quite uh, comfortably. Uh, up front, I'm not sure. It depends how many scrums in a match. I think Ireland could have a big edge on us at the scrum mm. and really put us under pressure. So we could, you know, we could spend some of this game on the uh, uh, back foot. Could be up to uh, Mr. Warburton and uh, Tip Rich to try and do some damage at the breakdown. Of the, uh, keep us in it. Well, Ireland don't have a specialist over the ball seven. So well, uh, Tip Rich today he told us, that, oh, hang on, I might break an embargo here. But he did say today O'Brien is very good over the ball. I mean, you've got two players there in Warburton and Tip Rich, you know, who gelled well, and uh, you know, are both good over the ball. Warburton's been you know, exceptional with his jackal work, so you would hope that would be an area that could get some fruit from. Certainly, the contact area was a problem in the second half against Scotland. Now. Whether there was a couple of aspects there, Hamish Watson came on at a big game for Scotland. Wales again a bit dislocated from the carrier, and also they did find Mr. Lacey's uh, refereeing a little bit confusing at times. Refereeing, I'm glad you mentioned that because <laughs> Ireland have got a poor win record when Wayne Barnes is refereeing. Well, over to Wayne then. Yeah, over to you, Mr. Barnes. Um, so yeah, but one of the positives from this championship that has been largely um, disappointing is the back row. With Wales, I yeah, it's say. gone well. I mean, I think that, that, that you know there was a lot of talk over a number of years ever since that 2013 demolition of England about the six-seven <laughs> option of the dual open side option. It's been tried a couple of times since that and hasn't really worked. It's it's looked a much more balanced pairing this championship. I think Warburton has really grown into a six role, slightly changing its game, more of a ball carrying role. And he's doing a lot of the over the ball work, which allows Tipperick to roam. And obviously Moriarty, in particular, you know, against England for fifty-five minutes was outstanding. But a good first half against Scotland, plus faded away a little bit. Moriarty, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. It's two best moments in a match in Scotland were just before he got substituted, where he did have an impact with the ball in hand. First impact of the match, he had two impacts, and think, then uh, mind you, I thought it was the right decision. Yeah, to take him I think the point is that the fact that Flatow continues to be on the bench. Does reflect that the back row as a whole has gone pretty well in the championship. Yeah, I noticed as well. It's Ian McGeegan says that Warburton's best position now is six. It, we were at, at the press conference today, we asked Howley about um, the decision not to bring Falatau in, which people, a lot of people thought might happen. Yeah. Um, his view was that the six-day turnaround was a big factor because he played for Bath, I think, against Wasps, Wasps last yeah. weekend. He said it was a heavy ground. He watched him, and the view was that he's done okay, well coming off the bench. So not to go with him. Hang on, this six-day, this six-day turnaround. What a load of nonsense, isn't it? You know, what a load of nonsense. How long does it take to get over a rugby match? I know you get bruised and battered, but I'll just use tennis as an example. Andy Murray, Federer, those guys and all, they're playing back-to-back matches, five setters over four hours and that. 
and they recover and play. Okay, they're not perhaps getting kicked and etc. But it is, <laughs> I would argue, tennis is far more physically demanding than rugby. <laughs> physically demanding. Physically demanding, as on your arm. Aerobically and demanding. Yeah. Yeah. I'd leave it there. Next question, Matthew. So, let's talk a little, little bit about Ireland then. They're obviously having an okay championship, didn't start too well, but they've been building since that defeat at Murrayfield. So, si, what what can we expect from them? They should really have beaten Scotland, although Scotland were excellent in that first half, you know, and showed you know, just what an attacking force they are, particularly out wide. It's got three tries. Um, but Ireland got themselves back into the game, back into winning position, and I think Schmidt will have been disappointed that they failed to see the job through. John so Barkley. John Barkley made a big impact <laughs> off the bench, huge impact. They then sort of obviously had the Italian game where they got themselves back together, ran up a huge amount of points. France was a different kind of game, it was a real grafting game. With Johnny Sexton back playing a big role like he'd never been away in fairness. Him and mm. Murray, what a mm. fine what a fine half back partnership that is. Back in winning ways, as Andy pointed out, they beat Australia, New Zealand, South Africa in the space of six months. How many Northern Hemisphere teams have ever done that? Incredible record, you know. And they are a fine, fine team with a very astute coach. Strong bench, Um, strong bench. They're they're pretty much a full strength. I mean, the fact that Marnie, I think, will be on the bench, won't he? You know, covering that back row, and they found an outstanding tight head drop in Ty. That you said. I would go with tag myself. Tag Furlong, outstanding. He, he, he's come up on the rails pretty quickly. Yeah, he, in recent he, times. he had a couple of creaky moments against France, but generally he's scrummaging very good, and he's a big, big ball carrier, big in the loose. They're a quality, quality side. And whereas against Scotland, if you sat down before the match and looked at it player by player, player against player, you kind of came up with Wales being the stronger team. I think if you did it now, you'd have Ireland probably marginally the stronger team, certainly the more confident team, and certainly a side that has become used to winning over the last 12 to 18 months under a very, very good hang coach. On, hang on, they, they, they're gunning you, mate, for their third Six Nations title in four attempts. Exactly. There so is more than 18 months. Well, a side that's used re- to winning. But they've had a rebuild like, since the World Cup. A side that's lost very few matches over the last three years as Andy's yeah, right yeah, you know yeah, and yeah. I'd make them favourites certainly do you, do you if you stop Marion Sexton do you go a long way to beating Ireland yes how do you do that though Absolutely. well it's going to be difficult isn't it? you're going to have to do something up front and I'm not sure if we got the pack and do that up, uh, up front if you give them a good platform they can dictate can they and both of them are fantastic uh, tactical kickers that's what brings a real edge to them and I wouldn't be surprised if they try and pin Wales back in the corners put pressure on the Welsh line now Will they look to target us with a cross kick as well? Oh, of course they will. Of course they will. <laughs> I know, Joe Schmidt said they won't be targeted. Joe Schmidt <laughs> said we won't willfully target George North. What a lovely fella George North is, he said. I know. What a load of rubbish. Talk about playing mind games. Of course they're going to kick on him. They will see what Scotland uh, did to him. And, and uh, Liam Williams was generally good under the eyeball. You know, he came off second best in, uh, in Scotland. And I was actually surprised how often Scotland targeted uh, uh, Liam. Yeah, so I'm expecting some cost. Yeah, Zebo mine will be on. Uh, Zebo will be on uh, North. North, yeah. Yeah, so I would imagine Zebo's excellent in the air. That I will imagine they'll put a few uh, few punts up there. I know and, they, uh, they brought them. in Tommy Bow on the bench as well for Trimble who's injured. Yeah, I can remember oh, when uh, North's final season with the Scarlets Pro 12 semi final out in Belfast before the Lions tour in 2013, mm. and they targeted and Nelson targeted him all game, all those number of years ago. Targeted him all match, and Tommy Bow had a field then. Field, uh, field night. Field night. And there's uh, two other things, two other issues we have to remember. If Wales lose both of the remaining Six Nations matches, they end up outside the top eight and they'll face another group of death. <laughs> so this is one of two hugely important opportunities that they've got to try and avoid that. That's massive. You know, I think you, you need to consider that. And I think just generally, they, 
if you see what this team has done over the last few weeks, there's a few players we would have had nailed on as Lions, not just tourists, but possibly test players. Mm. And their standing has waned over the, certainly last weekend. And they will know against a team that's probably going to pl- supply a lot of Lions, this is a, a real, real opportunity to re impose themselves as Lions candidates yeah. and a round of applause for round of applause for Lions. <laughs> excellent right there, before we finish um, I think it's important to mention some other big news in Welsh rugby this week and Si I'll come to you on this one to start mm. because you've been all over this for us is, is the takeover news in, in various regions let's start off because I know you were involved it, it brought us a story uh, and it wrote all that on the Cardiff Blues so just tell us what you know yeah about. I'll do the Blues maybe you can do the Dragons being a man of Brent I'm a man of the people <laughs> <laughs> um, as simply as, po- as possible there's been plans for in a long while now to have a redevelopment of the Arms Park 100 million pound plus redevelopment plan to bring a new 15,000 capacity covered arena there that's going to cost a lot of money it's not something the current board can put in place there's um, a couple of companies I know are very interested in getting involved in the development but it'll be a two year plan um, and during that period, providing the plan, of course, gets the approval of the athletic club, with the owners of the fleet of the freehold in the ground. If it gets the approval, then for a couple of years, there's going to be a necessity to move away from the Arms Park mm. and to find a new home, maybe Sardis Road, the Wern, or Principality Stadium. And inevitably, during that period, there'll be a loss of earnings, loss of revenue. There'll be about a million pound shortfall. Okay. So how does that get resolved? What's the solution? Well, one solution is the WRU, Welsh Rugby Union, coming in as, as a babysitting owner, controller of the team, uh, taking charge of the, the contracts, uh, taking charge of the employment of the administrative staff, and after two years, maybe three years, being in control. Of course, the issue is, would that be a temporary thing, or would that be a long-term thing? Would there maybe be a continuation of union control after the stadium is up and running? Might it be a mix with um, current investors or new investors, maybe even the property companies that are coming in? Lots of questions, mm. lots of issues to resolve. It's going to be a very, very interesting weeks, months and years following the Cardiff Blues. Indeed. Oh, if, that's, if, that, if that's what they remain called. Won't go any further than that. So Andy, uh, Dragoons. I know it's, it's another complex situation, but let's try and simplify it. Ask <laughs> Simon Henry. Why, 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 why are you laughing? Man of Gwent. Why are you laughing? Man of people. So is this is this a positive news for the Dragons? Is this? Yes, it is positive news for the Dragons. Absolutely, something's got to happen. You know, I've covered their, quite a few few of their games this season. They folded again in Glasgow in the second half uh, uh, last weekend, and they've conceded now 146 points in uh, three matches. Can go on. They're not good enough. Something's got to be done. Otherwise, nobody's going to be watching them. Um, they, they, you know, and uh, poor. And uh, my understanding is, oh, I know it's WIU takeover is going to take them over. The uh, it's imminent within the next uh, few weeks. WIU are excited. Uh, about the prospect, and uh, you know, they, the first thing they want to do is get a pair of halfbacks there, and they believe they can turn the dragons round and get it going and get the you know the people that went behind it. And the key to that, of course, is uh, success on the on on the pitch. Something's got to be done. I was there's no point the dragons continuing. In so, my opinion. So do you think that the WIU will take over ownership of Rodney Parade? Well, that's a difficult question, Simon, <laughs> because I'm not really sure who owns Rodney Parade. Is it Newport RSC? Is it Tony Brown? Magnificent benefactors has been on Martin Hazel. Another book has put loads into it there. Uh, not really sure who's got the deeds of the uh, uh, other grounds. That's difficult. But uh, WIU, you know, 
what the Dragons wanted to do last April was get investors in, and what they were offering them was the Dragons squad and the Dragons title. Not just the Dragons, not the ground. I'd be surprised if they offered to give the uh, uh, the ground money created to the WIU. If they want money for it, it's going to be worth a lot of money, isn't it? Because... Uh, uh, you know, if it was a building site, you could put a hell of a lot of homes on there, and it would be worth millions. So, um, so I'd be surprised if the couldn't the WIU afford to buy Ronnie Parade anyway. Or might it just be given to them? Well, as I part don't know, of the takeover, depends, of the team. Who, depends who owns Ronnie Parade, doesn't it? I mean, we hear some it, it, experts in the area right. telling us that they don't want any okay, money back. If Ronnie Parade is owned by Newport RFC, yeah. that means the members of Newport RFC, I guess, own you know own the ground if you like then. But what is it? But if it's a limited company, who's the directors? Who's got the most shares in it? Or does Ronnie Parade Limited own it? Who knows? Well, these are questions, of course, that all Newport and Dragons fans will be asking and are wanting some answers to. Yeah, let's. To, to but on rugby grounds, the takeover would be. Uh, I think it was fantastic news for the mm. Dragons. Well, what does it? What does it actually? If, what would the union? Last question. I, I know we we got we got to shift it on. Um, last question then on this. When, when, when the Union takes over the Dragons, for example, let's say, mm. what does it do to the Dragons? What will that do to improve Well, what we've dragons? heard, I mean, these figures may be not exactly correct, but we've heard that at the present, the Dragons playing squad is around about the £2.5 million mark, and the suggestion is that the WRU ownership it goes up to about £3.5 million. Not That's not world-breaking change no. in money, but it's better than what you've got now. So I think there will be an attempt to bring the Dragons playing squad budget up to a, nearer to what the other regions are. So that's the short-term thing. Okay. And then long-term, you would hope to build the support generally yeah. and get more people behind the region. What, what they'll be able to do is not necessarily give them money, but they'll be able to put resources in there. Yeah. So you'll be able to put specialist coaches in there, school coaches, go and take sessions in there, like Chris Osman, Jason Strange already does, get like yeah. P. Lewis... And uh, other people, Gatlin himself might take sessions exactly. there. Rob, yeah. you know, perhaps even now, perhaps they'll put Rob Owley over there as part of his learning experience. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that's all options, isn't it? So, you know, Robbie McBride might do the Dragons uh, forwards. Uh, tell you what they do need is a defence coach. So, Sean, Sean Edwards, uh, you know, uh, he needs to get over there and start tightening up the uh, Dragons' defence because it might help him shore up the Wales' defence. Of course, what you're getting at the moment is West Wales supporters questioning whether if these two teams in the East do go under WRU control, will there be any sort of beneficial treatment of those in terms of financially? Well, young players. But maybe young players being encouraged to go to those regions. So all of a sudden you're going to get that issue again. players. Players might not necessarily be encouraged to go there, but they might think themselves, well, why don't I go to the Dragons? It's going to improve my chances of getting perhaps national selection. You might get Gavin Ensign there. Watch this space. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks for joining us, chaps, and thanks to you guys at home for listening. Um, obviously, now we're in full build-up mode uh, with uh, forty-eight hours to go to the uh, Wales versus Ireland match at Cardiff on Friday night. Of course, <laughs> you've lost Andy. <laughs> We've lost him. Are you okay. <laughs> Of course, um, we're going to be building up to that game now, so you can follow all the build-up. We'll have live updates on the night and all the reaction, whatever happens at the Principality Stadium on Wales Online.